Hello, welcome to The Last Standee, a board game podcast coming to you from four countries across Europe. Audrey is not with us today as they are moving home, so I'm joined here today by Alexis, Alessio, David, and I am, of course, your host, Fen. Say hello, everyone. Hi. Hey, hey. Hey, so uh, we're going to be talking about a range of different topics across the hobby. Today, we're going to start with seeing how everyone's doing in the podcast catch-up. So what have you guys been up to? David? Um, I've been on a bit of Infinity terrain, like mostly like consoles, which are a bit yeah difficult to build, but it's still a lot of fun when you see like everything coming together after a while. Yeah, they, um, they're ply-build, aren't they? Like um, pre-cut and you assemble them? Yeah, exactly. Like they are pre-cut, and you have to assemble them with uh, with uh, wood glue. Mm-hmm. I know the process. I do it for building inlays because inlays are never good enough. And I can guarantee you, we're going to talk about inlays at some point on this uh, podcast. Definitely. Yep. Uh, Alessio, what have you been up to? Oh well, uh, this week was fulfillment week for Kickstarter. I got Pax Pamir Second Edition from Where Geek Games. And it was great. And also, I played a bit of King's Dilemma with my friends over the internet, actually, uh, for the weekend. So it was a pretty nice weekend. Ooh, no spoilers, because I've played through King's Dilemma, but how far have you got in? A few years? Oh, uh, yeah, sec- second generation of Kings. Actually, Ooh. the first King was mine, so silly names. Uh, uh, <laughs> it's, um, it's really great, isn't it? It just doesn't feel too complicated, but feels quite meaty and weighty and important yeah i had a talk already about it actually it's a very simple mechanic which lets you to make a very compelling story so nice 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 very well done yeah yeah i i particularly appreciate how the houses form your uh, agenda of how you're going to play which uh, is a nice nice addition to it it's a great game and i keep eyeing up um the stores around here to see if when it comes back into stock because i'm very tempted to get a physical copy for playing over a long period feels like a good game you can play with some people who visit once a year for example yeah we are destroying my physical copy actually while we play online so i get the best of both worlds oh nice you're getting all the legacy stuff (laughs) yeah so Uh, basically, a uh, fun thing about King's Dilemma is that uh, uh, actually the game is made that by Hjalmar Hach, which is a very Italian name because it's absolutely a totally Italian. Hmm. It, it's not doesn't feel that Italian in theme. At least uh, I can't think. But it's been a while since I played. I think the houses all have a slight sort of maybe hint of a national theme. That a bit like. There's some things about them reminding me for some reason of uh, Game of Thrones. I don't know why. Well, yeah, that's Italian politics for you. <laughs> yeah, that's it indeed. Uh, and uh, Alexis, what have you been up to? Well, I finally started playing Veins of the Heart, the um, latest expansion for the Seventh Continent. And it is incredibly good. I think it's a game that really had its best expansion for the, the latest stuff. Like it really shows that they've learned what works and what doesn't and what the community wanted. And I feel like every single expansion from the, the second Kickstarter was uh, a lot better than the first one. That's my favorite course, actually. It's much better than A Price on Clothes, which I found a bit fiddly, messy and difficult. Hmm. 
Um, is that newer curse released or has it been around for a while? It has been around for two years. It's, it's the latest that they released since the, their latest Kickstarter. I've just been slow to finally play them. <laughs> Yeah, we, we should talk about uh, Serious Pulp, about how they handle Kickstarters, but it's actually, I, I, I'm mostly in agreement with them, but uh, basically that's the white box expansion from the last Kickstarter, and they began selling stuff uh, on their store too, so you might find it there. Yeah, yeah, that's where I got my copy of um, Seventh Continent from, was from, from their store. Um, and... I decided Seventh Continent and Seventh Citadel that comes out are going to be my. I'll just pick up what I feel like rather than get everything games because you know collectoritis, as we talked about uh, FOMO last time, is um, something I'm trying to beat. Uh, sometimes successfully, sometimes not. It's a lot easier when you just buy something from the store though to not want everything. Whereas if you get it from like eBay or like somewhere else in the market, for some reason for me, I'm suddenly like, ooh, I want more. I want more. Come on, I can get all of this stuff. Yeah, especially in Kickstarter, where it's sometimes, hey, you can get more now and for cheaper and maybe for the only time. So you better get onto it now. Yeah, tell me about it. I went all in on um, on the uh, Darkest Dungeon Kickstarter in the end. Which uh, You were weak. No, I, I, as I said before, I'm, I'm doing it for miniature painting, that I want to paint that style of models more than anything else. I might not get to play the game ever. But that's okay because I'll just get them up on my little nail polish racks in my display cabinet and just have them looking nice. Those minis were beautiful. They were. I think they captured the style of the game in three dimensions perfectly. And it's a different style to a lot of other games. Kind of one I think I'd really enjoy painting. So, yeah, you know. Yeah, those minis look really unique compared to others. they do. Although I was a bit perplexed because but near the end of the Kickstarter, they went, here you go, here's an alternate sculpt for this creature or this, this I can't remember even what it was. They stuck out two alternate sculpts they're putting into the box. You don't get extra cards. You don't face two of them at a time, as far as I can tell. It's just, here you go, have more plastic because our sculptor had these spare versions. Right. So we're going to get on to our topics now and i believe this time uh david's got the first hand and speaking of modeling and painting it's going to be about infinity so take it away dave so what is infinity infinity is a sky-fi skirmish game released by Corvus belly recently the fourth edition was released you know there was a lot of load and uh, a lot of rules in the third edition but now they got rid of it and they streamed like like a lot of things like um, they took a skill and before it was like a whole list of skills uh, compromised into one. And now you have like only those single like uh, like tags for it, you know. So it's way easier to play. Infinity is a sci-fi game settled 500 years into the future. Uh, humanity settled the distant stars. And the interesting thing about for me is it's a, like a sci-fi setting, but without like this grim dark 40k style. But it's more like a anime style cyberpunk setting. Similar to Ghost in the Shell with mechas called Tex and stuff like that. No idea if you have seen like the artwork for it. Well, yeah, actually, uh, it gives me also a cyberpunk vibe and um, the Matrix vibe and something I don't know. Yeah, I've um, I've seen Infinity on and off for years, and the models have never been my cup of tea. Really, uh, the game isn't uh, my my style either, but uh, they certainly do look nice when they're painted up, and I'm 
pleased to hear that they've trimmed a lot of fat and bulk from the book because um, as that might even be a theme for today, maybe simplicity in gaming can do a lot, especially if you can still keep tactical depth at the same time. What I've always enjoyed with Infinity is uh, not as much the miniatures, but the fact that you have all of those uh, beautiful environments that you can make uh, on your own. I'm a sucker for that kind of stuff. I think it's a great way to, to play a war game into having a uh, you know, cardboard-made environment. I think it's, it's really great. Yeah, yeah. The, um, I love Necromunda for the same reason, these towering blocks and, and all that. But obviously Necromunda is a very grungy industrial feel. Uh, they've got a, a lot of sort of Neo-Tokyo stuff and things, haven't they, in this? Yeah, they, they have like uh, you have like a lot of different environments. Um, most of the time you will see like your typical city maps with like uh, like in-game advertisement for uh, uh, like video games and shows that are yeah, placed inside the setting, which is rather fun to see. So in total, what's really interesting about this uh, Infinity is like you have compared to other systems like Warmer 40k or something, you have like uh, eight major factions, including mercenaries. And in total, it ends up with like 35 different armies you can play, which is like, which is like a lot, but they are not like... Uh, 40k or warhammer you have like a single army which have like special rules for the whole army and here it's like uh the balancing is way more of it's different let's put it this way instead of having like a general uh special rules for a whole army uh you have only models and miniatures and troops which have like a certain amount of rules and they differ from each faction Right. Um, so, which which tell us about the faction or factions that you like to play then? Oh, I'm playing O12, which is like the space police, a bit like the the coast guard, space coast guard, you could put it that way. And they are like law keepers. You have like a lot of um, miniatures which look a bit like Judge Dredd and stuff like that. <laughs> wait, 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 wait! Space coast guard. So, like, if somebody falls out an airlock, they're the ones on first response. Yeah, or if if there if you have like uh, if there's issues with pirates and other things, um, they will try to take them down or smugglers. Are there um is is it like a you know like a small holiday resort where they're being menaced by a space shark? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I've uh, I've actually um just placed an order for a copy of Jaws, the the board game. I gave in. I wanted it for a long time, but uh, I had no idea. This sounds um sounds quite quite sort of different to um I get I get all, you know space marines yeah you know, space coast guard yeah you yeah. have like uh, different other factions as well you have like the combined army which is like a combined alien empire they are sort of like the bad guys they have like uh, some hive mind in the background which controls every aspect but they look very different to like tyrannids and stuff like or similar armies then you have like uh, the nomads which is like uh, they are a faction which have like three giant spaceships, which, yeah, they are mostly like hackers, information brokers, organized crime. You have like uh, crypto banks on, on board of these ships and they are like the general scum faction. Yeah, I'm looking at the models now. It really does have a very heavy sort of anime vibe, but more the... Um... The more serious-looking anime style. Yeah, they, they looked like a lot like some of the animatrics art style. Or the uh, there's a series on Netflix with uh, robots, 
of mini series of episodes. Uh, yeah, Death, Love, and Robots was it? Yeah, that's it. Death, yeah. Love, yeah. and Robots. That had some very good episodes and some very poor ones. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> I loved the. Um, just to go on a tangent for a moment. I loved the episode with the, uh, um, the mechs, the farming mechs. That one was fantastic. That's always the cost of an anthology, though. That some of them will be less good. Absolutely, probably the strongest episode is the first one. Yep, sure. Do they do they have um, mechs? Yeah, they have so-called uh, techs, which are like uh, yeah, piloted robots. Yeah, or yeah, you have like uh, pilots in some of them, and some are like uh, remote controlled, and they are like uh, total threat on the field some of them can like climb super, super good others are like even camouflaged and some of even them can even deploy in hidden deployment which means like it's like predator style you, you know your, your opponent will not tell you that somewhere on the field uh, there's this tech deployed you will not see it unless he deploys it somewhere suddenly as a surprise yeah yeah it is um what are these models typically made out of are they hips plastic or are they um uh metal or resin uh no actually they are like uh, metal minis all of them which is rather unusual nowadays but they are like really fantastic they are a bit of a burnt or a bit of complicated to assemble but otherwise they look like really great good detail and they are like 28 millimeters true scale uh yeah hence the dimensions for those people who want to wear um true scale is where the um, proportions on the model are more closer to actual humans, whereas heroic scale, for example, is Games Workshop, where they have oversized hands and feet um, to, and bigger, chunkier proportions. And then, of course, you've got super deformed or chibis is another one. So there's a whole variety. So that gives these guys more of a... Um, they look thinner um, on the board and lighter. I think that's, that's fair to say. Yeah, that's certainly true. Um, okay, now let's talk about how, how does Infinity play? And that's like for me the most important thing, to be honest, because you don't want to play like a boring tabletop game. Okay, so what's unique about uh, the gameplay of uh, Infinity? Uh, it's a D20 based skirmish game. So at maximum, you have like 15 miniatures um, on, the, on the board, which is like not much compared to other games. But then you have like um, each trooper brings you different types of orders. And the interesting thing is like if I want to activate a trooper, it's not like, uh, like let's say 40k where I activate a unit, then move your unit, move a different unit. But rather I can take an order from a different trooper and use that to activate the other trooper. So I can like just put everything down and just move one trooper with like 10 orders. So you can 10 you can move 10 times and act 10 times compared to other games and the thing is um your opponent normally it's like okay i will move my army come back in 30 minutes i will have a coffee <laughs> and here it's like you can actually react to the to your movements of your troopers on the field it's like a big bit like you can if i don't know if you ever played xcom like overwatch uh, that means like when I move a trooper down down a road or something, and your trooper has line of sight to it, line of fire to it, 
he can actually like say react i want to dodge i want to shoot back i want to like turn around and other things which makes the thing really interesting because both players play at the same time i i was wondering um how long would you say that it takes to like uh learn the rules and play the game uh, with a friend that that knows the game like is it a game that you can pull out and play under two hours or is it something that would take an entire afternoon um i'm just wondering to to know you know is it a pick and play game or is it something that requires a lot more involvement i, I think to be honest like it takes a lot of time to get used to in the beginning but uh, one, once you learn the rules it's pretty good like you can full game you can finish in like like two hours i think that's good that's uh that's pretty nice it seems to be uh on a good middle range between uh spend 5k on warmer and uh a year to learn the rules and play some uh some cool army combat and uh a, a less uh, tactical uh board game it, it seems to be a nice a very nice middle range yeah, actually, I uh, it looks like everybody that did their homework. So I'm the only one who don't know a lot about Infinity. So I asked a friend. He told me I won't playing Infinity anymore unless they streamline the actions because you can do everything and a lot of stuff. And it was playing M3 version, I guess. Yeah, sure. Uh, while M3 got a lot of appraisal as well, it's like... Uh... It was a bit of, yeah, there was too much bloat. Like, uh, if you have, like, uh, one trooper and you want to do something and you can do it, like, in 10 different ways, um, it leads to, like, uh, decision paralysis, kind of. And you still have a lot of actions here in N4 as well, but it's, like, way less. So now you don't have to look at the manual for knowing what you can exactly do. Yeah, pretty much. It's, like, way easier. Okay, you convinced me. I will try it. So in general, what's uh, uh, really interesting is like the, as mentioned before, the 3D terrain, because it's not like Warm of 4K where if you have a bit of terrain, but like the full table will be full of terrain if you play it properly. Um, so you have like all this cover going on. You have a lot of different uh, yeah approaches to the objectives and stuff like that. And it plays really it plays a lot like a versus mode of XCOM or Jack the Lions, which is like fantastic. I was looking, there are there are a lot of cardboard boxes. It looks like uh, old style Necromunda for me. Yeah, it depends what kind of terrain you pick, but there there is uh, rather cheap uh, yeah pl cardboard um, terrain available. D don't insult the cardboard. I love cardboard. <laughs> yeah, but you can you can get like a full table of uh, cardboard terrain for like twenty euros, which is pretty good price for it. C can you imagine being a board gamer who didn't like cardboard? You'd be you'd be in a lot of trouble. <laughs> I I really like your game, but could you do a glass board for me? And you know maybe cast some pieces in in resin and and I don't I don't want cards. No, no. Can I can I have like plastic cards as well? <laughs> ne Necromunda buckets were the the saving race of that game, I think. Yeah, yeah, those those bulkheads are still going strong, although they're starting to get harder and harder to acquire anywhere. 
that is the reason I bought a 3D printer. <laughs> so, um, like to finish this topic about Infinity. So for me, the, like the strong points of the game is like it's rather cheap to get into it. It's not like super expensive, like Warmer 40k, where you have to spend like 800 euros or more to get an army going. But here you can start with one of the startup starting boxes, which is much cheaper. And um, the rules are for free. There is like no codex-based system, like in like for Games Workshop. Uh, the army builder is free. Um, then there is, uh, if you want to play with less less complex rules, there's also called a version called Code One which only has like four factions and the rules are even more streamlined and there's less equipment. So it's like really easy to get into it. That's great. Um, is it okay if I go on a little tangent? Of course. Yep, that's what we do. <laughs> uh, it reminds me a lot of uh, battle systems, uh, Call Space, if you, um, if you know that game. Battle systems usually makes only um, uh, cardboard terrains for different types of war games, and they are usually really high quality from what I can see. And I've seen that they decided to make their own board game, which seems to be a sort of um, weird campaign, rich team, sort of tactical uh, co-op game. It seems really interesting. I've not played it yet, but it's been on my uh, on my list for a while, and. Um, it also just reminded me a bit of Infinity because of the, the cardboard terrains. You know, I just googled battle systems and thank you, Google. It's gorgeous. Oh my God, it's beautiful. Oh yeah, it's probably one of the most beautiful uh, cardboard terrains that exist. But like this game specifically, uh, Call Space, has been on my list. And I, I was just wondering if one of you played it and, uh, and could, you know, compare it to Infinity because I was looking to get into it at some point. No, but now I want to buy this stuff. <laughs> it looks really interesting, to be honest. Then no, I've, I've not played it either. I, I've seen this before, actually. It's come up on my radar a few times. And it's reminded me of, I think it's that old, Mil is it Milton Bradley game, Space Crusade, that came out the same time as Hero Quest? Yeah, Space Crusade is basically... Uh, obviously, yeah, go on, sorry. Ah, no, no. Uh, Space Crusade is basically Hero Quest on the 40k universe. Yeah, I've I've seen some old videos of like the adverts or something kicking around on YouTube, and it looked like quite a riot. But obviously, this has got way more walls and and everything. But it's very cool. Yeah, maybe a topic for another day. Maybe, maybe somebody picks it up and gives it a go. It says it plays for one to six players. Oh, that's quite a lot. We are yeah. one to six people. <laughs> yeah. Um, some might say one to five, unless uh, somebody's carrying around a conjoined twin they've not talked about yet. If you have, no shaming. Sounds like something like Tobias Funke would say. Who knows what the future has in store for us. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Well... And uh, then that would bring it on to our next topic. Uh, that's me. That's my topic. Uh, I've chosen this week or this fortnight, this episode, to talk about um, a game that I've had for quite a while. And so far, I've never had a bad game of it on the table and always have had people going, oh, win or lose, they want to have another go. Uh, this unfortunately from a now dead company. So 
Picking it up on the secondary market is difficult, but there is a Creative Commons released version of this game on Tabletop Simulator. So you can play it legally online with your friends right now. And the game is Fireteam Zero from Emergent Games. Uh, it was a Kickstarter game originally. Um, I picked it up when it hit the stores. Um, and it is a World War II weird war kind of setting. So it takes the trappings of World War II, but instead of having your foes be uh, other people, humans, it is uh, about allied a ragtag group of allied special ops fighting against um, creatures created by weird, uh, corrupted artifacts. The, the core game has three different campaigns in it, and you, you play each of you plays like a single character uh, in a class-based system. Uh, there's a close combat, a marksman type, a leader type who uses a shotgun and has sort of support abilities, and a demolitionist slash first aid, which is one of my favorite ideas. It's like, okay, so this guy heals people and throws explosives. Sure. Um, so they, they're called the Fireteam Zero. Uh, the start of the game, you'll everyone will pick one of those classes to play. Um, you need at least two characters, but it scales really well between one and four players. Um, and once you've done that, you get essentially a deck. You have a scenario you set up that goes in an ongoing campaign. Um, uh, the first one is against the the uh, twisted, the infested. Sorry. The infested. Um, the second campaign's against the fetched, and the third one's against the children of Typhon. So the the um the one that you'll play first of all is the the infested, and they are like a bunch of corrupted animals and humans, uh, sort of perverted and changed into these sort of horrible, mixed up messes. So there's a heavy horror theme, um, and I like I like the theme of the game. Uh, I like the models, but what I really love about this is the mechanics. And this is a great example of if you do everything right, you can be very simple in what you're doing, but it still be deep and tactical and challenging. Yeah, before you, uh, I had a look on, uh, you sent me that video before and I had a look. And like in general, the gameplay reminds me a lot of those uh, co-op shooters like Left 4 Dead or Vermintide. Looks like very similar, and that's pretty much put into a board game, which is like really interesting. Yeah, I was going to say it is like Vermintide slash Deep Rock Galactic slash um, Left 4 Dead in that it is. It's not about killing monsters; it's about hitting those objectives, and you've got to keep moving while doing it, and you've got to work together. Um, so, characters. Your character is basically a single card that tells you who you are and uh, a little bit of like what your role is and what weapons. It's almost entirely a flavor piece of card, but the bulk of what you are is your deck. So um, your deck is uh, um, made up. Every single card in it is made up of two different aspects. You've got a top half, which is your attack that you can play. And on your turn, you can play any number of those attack cards that match the same weapon type. We'll talk about weapon types because that's also really cool. But as an example, um, Shadro, Shad, the close combat expert who I almost always play as, primarily uses melee attacks. And so he gets a lot of melee-based um, attack cards. Um, but he does have a little bit of sort of ranged. 
On the bottom half of these cards, though, is your reaction. Now, this is something you can play under certain circumstances. Uh, an example here would be um, this has a range of one space, so that's the space you're in or one next to you. Play before an ally performs a bullet attack to increase their attack strength by two. So essentially, Shad helps someone by also firing at the same target with a hip shot, it's called. Which is two things your cards do. However, there's a third thing. Your cards in hand are also your health in a round. So the more you spend in a turn, and you could spend all of your cards in one action if you wanted to, the less health you have. Every damage you take from the, the monsters attacking, you've got to discard a card. If you can't discard a card, you're down. So there's this real knife edge of uh, balancing every single turn. And you can also look really quickly at your friends, uh, at your other characters, and immediately see, oh, God, he's got one card. Okay, so he's low. He's in trouble. We need to protect him. Or don't worry about it. Look, I've still got four cards. I can soak a few hits. It's neat. But on top of all of that, they stack the deck with these absurdly powerful special actions. You've got two of them per deck. And um, they just do... They either have a devastating attack on the top half or on the bottom, they got, they got a tactical response, which if you play it, you can't draw any cards for the turn. So whatever you've got left over, that's what you've got. But you get to do amazing stuff. Like the marksman can just decimate every single... Um, every single foe within a, in a quadrant, not just the space he's in, but like a whole quarter of the board. Or Shad here can um, like attack every single monster in the sector. So you get to do really huge, cool things. Um, but I love that, that you look at the hat in your hand and you go, I know how much health I have, I know what I can do, and I know what I can do to help others. Bam, all in one place. Uh, <clears throat> then the flip side of that is the creatures, which... They are essentially a single stat card. They have a basic AI. They move towards you. They attack you. That's that's it. That's all they do. They keep spawning from these same 12 points across the board, uh, which are randomly determined in number, but they're all functionally identical. Um, and uh, they keep pouring at you. So some people describe this as like a tower defense game, except you're a moving tower. I think the description of this is like Left 4 Dead is much better. Uh, what I really find, found interesting is like uh, there's not only those monsters always coming back, like they, they are keep spawning and respawning. So that mm. means the longer you take, the more monsters there will be in total, uh, like not in total, but like there will always be the same amount of monsters. But uh, what I really found interesting is this mechanic that they get more and more dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the plot twist mechanic. And as time passes, every three turns, you have to draw a plot twist from the deck and they, um, they gain a new ability. And that changes depending on which uh, faction you're playing against. Uh, an example here would be the um, infested can gain the ability to throw. It says all minion attacks with a range of zero have their range increased to one. And that's just very simple. But another one would be if a blank is rolled when activating a monster, re-roll it so they do stuff more often. Yeah, they are, or they even end up moving faster instead of attacking if they're out of range. It can really throw a wrench in the works. And they are, there's a lot of tension on that third turn each time when you're flipping a card. Yeah. Uh, the um, other thing, I, I mean, I, there's so many little neat pieces that are packed into this. The spawn points I mentioned are also your objective points. You have to go there to search to try and find... Um, draw recon cards and the recon cards include the objectives so you don't get to avoid the spawn points you've got to move towards them 
And I think that's like a very nice additional piece of tension. The first mission, for example, you're trying to find a propeller, fuel, get to a boat, and you have you, you know you have to go to these places. You have to search, and you also know one of them is going to trigger an elite to attack you. And that's like, oh goodness, you know, I don't know. There's 12 search locations. I've got to check. I could have to check all of these. It could be the first one. It could be the last one. I have no idea. We've got to have enough in us to go. Um, and then, if that wasn't enough, you're also always undertaking a bit of an escort mission because you've got two uh, allies, and they are just NPCs who help your um, your your models, your troopers. These guys give you extra bonuses, but they always have to be escorted by one of your at least one of the members of Fireteam Zero. If they and if they get if the person escorting them gets knocked down, then they can get attacked, and that starts causing a ton of problems as well. So it's really like there's a lot on. Um, uh, Professor Henry Professor Monroe gives everyone um, a reroll on their dice when attacking. Wonderful, but he can't fight himself at all. And Patrick Cake Wolinski, apart from having a weird uh, name helps you have a free search if you're within one space of him. There's a, there's a whole load in the um, expansions, but those are, those are the two you get in the core game. Um. <clears throat> so you know, always need to take care that they are not getting eaten by a mutated syphilis-infected koala bear, pretty much. Yep, yep. You you have to you have to babysit them the entire time. They do help you for it, and often you'll find people want to stick near depending on whether they're searching or, or whatever they're doing. But yeah, yeah, like you, you, you have that other extra bit of jeopardy where um, one person's looking after both temporarily and suddenly some uh, some twisted spawn nearby, some infected come pouring in. And you're like, oh, oh God, we've got to get over there. We have to get over there and help them because that could be it. Because, and that brings us to one of the last two mechanics I'm, I want to gush about a bit, but the coin. So... You get a little metal coin in the box. When you start the scenario, it's face up. It says, Liberty in God we trust. Lovely. First time somebody loses all their health, as in they have no cart in hand and they get attacked and they take a hit, you have to flip that, that coin face down. They get knocked down. They can get back up a bit later whenever you choose. They can play dead for a little bit if they need to. But uh, that's the only life gone. If, if somebody else gets knocked down while this coin is face down, game over. Absolutely. A few rare occasions can make the coin flip up and you get an extra life, but that's like a whole extra level of tension. No one ever gets eliminated because you win or lose together. What's the other side of the coin then? Oh, the back side of the coin is simply a, a scored cross and it's got M, C, D and L on it, which is each of the classes. So that's the, we're about to lose. That's but nobody getting knocked over. Yeah, yeah, it's just been crossed out. Yeah. Uh, oh, uh, so um, then you've got the dice to attack with. Now, they did a really nice thing in this game. They combined all three different attack types into a single dice. So you have printed on the dice, they're custom made. You've got fists for melee, you've got bullets for range, and you've got grenades for explosive. When you're attacking, all that matters is the type of attack you're doing. So if you're rolling fists, you only care about what fists you roll. If you're doing bullets, so on bullets, explosives, grenades. The weighting is different. So fists, for example, five sides have fists on them. One has two, the rest will have one. So fists are very reliable, but they don't deal a lot of 
damage. If you roll three dice with fists, you might roll six, but you're very unlikely to because that's like a one in 128 chance of getting three of those. It's like rolling three sixes. In contrast, explosives have a load of blank sides, but they have twos and threes on a couple of the sides. And they're the only ones who can manage this incredibly big burst of damage. So if you're somebody who likes a reliable, um, dependable fighter, you might go with melee. Um, if you want, love, if you love the thrill of like not knowing exactly what's going to happen, the demolitionist is exactly for you because you can suddenly just go, I'm going to blow everything up. And that's the other thing. Explosives hit everyone in the same space that which you're attacking. So that's one of those situations you've got to watch out for friendly fire. And sometimes you, you, you will have people going, it's okay. You chuck the grenade in here where I am because we need to blow all of these up. It's, uh, it's great. <laughs> Reminds me of like when you leave somebody behind left for dead or <laughs> <laughs> leave me, leave me, leave me, yes. Yeah. Um yeah, so the other last thing is the um it, it in keeping with how simple this game is, is development. As you go through a mission uh, and complete it and onto the next one within a campaign series that tells a story, you get a little bit of upgrading. Now all characters have access to what's called focus, which is a single card that gives them a special ability. You get to pick that at the start of the scenario. Just to give you a couple of examples, um, the marksman can have opportunity fire. Once per round, you may perform a bullet attack against the monster as a reaction when it moves into your location or adjacent one. That's Overwatch, basically, as you were just describing. Um, or you could say have, uh, oh, there's <laughs> one card literally called Overwatch. But uh, a field tourniquet is the demolition, which is once per mission, you flip the lucky coin to heads as an action, which is pretty cool. Now. Um, but also, you get to customize your decks, um, which I really like. You swap a few cards out, you get to swap in this big pile of upgraded cards and change things, and you get to customize to, and tailor what you want your character to be doing. Um, it's, it's actually very hard. So uh, to, 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 to work out exactly what I want to be doing. Um, yeah, no. And uh, uh, so there is more, but I, I'm not going to just keep on gushing on and on about the game. What I really wanted to bring is this game is simple. At a glance, you can look at the table. You can understand where you are, how far you can move, how far the uh, enemies can move, how bad the terrain is, whether the terrain has benefits or not. It's all just laid out for you straight away. Um, and also the, with card health system, the, the ability to look at it and go, okay, I know, I know who's in trouble. I know who's got lots of health. It's all very transparent and very straightforward, but there's so many opportunities for wrinkles. There's, I didn't even touch on it, but there's a monster dice that you roll. And sometimes they move further. Sometimes they activate an additional ability. Sometimes they don't. And you've got that bit of randomness in it. And it's um, it adds to the stakes and the tension on top of the randomness of whether you get hit or not or whether you score your hits. Um, but it feels good. And I think more than anything, if somebody's going to say, what's an example of a hard game that does it right, I would be like, play Fireteam Zero. Just that is it, it's simple it is fast and when you finish win or lose you're often like oh oh again either you want to push further on in the campaign see what the next scenario is like how they switch up the objectives and what you're trying to do or you just just got beaten like the last game we played literally 
the final we'd lost on the final location before getting to the ferry it was just so tight just just came down to one roll so i was wondering yeah replayability wise mm-hmm. how different it is each mission like you seem to mention that the objectives are always sort of the same but i'm guessing that there's a good amount of um, change and and uh things to mix it up yeah, so per scenario, the objectives are always the same. As I said, the first scenario, you're always going to be trying to find the propeller and the fuel for the boat and killing things to generate some specimens for the professor. Um, but the uh, you have a recon deck and those objectives are shuffled in there and they're spread out between 12 different locations. So you don't know how easy it is going to be to find everything. Um, and... And then the new later scenarios mix things up further. And there's expansions. Um, while they're not on the TTS the demo, not demo, but full game, um, you can get the Africa cycle, which adds a whole new faction and new adventures, new um, new scenarios in, and the European cycle. Um, and there's also a bunch of packs that change the way the monsters behave. And you can even get a deck that does generation. And so it randomizes missions. So there's a lot of replayability. Um, I, I've played the first scenario a whole load of times with people, and I've never got bored of it because it still changes. It's still always engaging and tense. You know, Fen, you might be a Knizia fan after all. You like no, a, no, no. <laughs> you like a game where a card does multiple things and you don't have enough. Uh, you, you have to do more stuff than you can, but you would want to do more. So that's basically Kibnitsia mechanics. Oh, I'm sorry if it's not um, modern art or master's gallery. I, I, I'm not super excited by it. I, <laughs> I, I, I get your point. Um, I've got nothing against Kibnitsia as a designer. He's, um, he's very talented, like uh, Uwe Rosenberg as well. But they're just, it's just not my jam. Yeah, of course, it's not popular. Not, it's actually a lot popular, but uh, not among uh, our kind of gamers. I love him, for example. Yeah, yeah. I, I just, I've had a lot of Kinitsia games and I've sold a lot of Kinitsia games. Um, and so I've just had to come to conclude that I, I've i got the ones I like. And he does a lot of doing the same thing over and over, in my opinion. But he's it's still, what he does is very good. And if you enjoy it, you know, no, that's fair actually... play. That's actually true. He is a lot self-referential. So mm-hmm. a lot of games are have feature common elements of design, but it's always a smart game. So uh, nobody expects someone to have uh, 200 uh, Nixia games, but <laughs> if you can have a collection of six or seven, you're okay. Yeah. Look, if you can uh, get him on the blower and convince him to create a cooperative like miniatures game, um, I'll give it a go and maybe I'll really enjoy it. Of course, we'll try Quest for Eldorado first. <laughs> okay. Um, well, uh, that's that's me gushing over Fireteam Zero pretty much over. And now it's time for our last topic of the podcast. We're going to take a look at Lancer from Massive Press. I hope I pronounced that correctly. And Alexis, take us away. Okay. So Lancer is an RPG that I really enjoy. Uh, it came out a couple of years ago on Kickstarter. 
and it is basically a mech role-playing game where you spend a good amount of time choosing what kind of a frame you want to use and then fitting that mech with different uh, abilities and then coming into battle and basically doing a very tactical oriented uh, game with your mech. What I find interesting is that they really separate uh, the mech combat as being extremely tactical and uh, all of the mech combat being a lot more roleplay heavy, uh, which is something that I like because with RPG games, I'm usually a lot more interested in roleplaying something that is story heavy and that is player driven rather than being stat driven or, or dice roll uh, driven. But with Lancer, since they separate the two really neatly, um, I'm a lot more comfortable with playing something that is more uh, wargamey. So yeah, Lancer is set thousands of years into the future after the population of the Earth has been wiped out. Another human population rose out of the ashes and formed a spacefaring civilization. It's an interesting setting as it allows itself to be far detached for our current, from our current history while still having relics from the old Earth. Mechs will often have mythical names, for example. Um, weapons will be named after fabled ones like Gun Gear or Excalibur. And every player are talented Lancer pilots, which is a in the setting, a sort of modern cavalry as they, they will reinforce um, food troops and vehicles uh, onto the battlefield as mechs are harder to control but much more powerful under the right hands. Uh, what really drives the game, in my opinion, Neon, is that tactical combat. Personally, for me, the standout, I have to look at it right now, uh, like the, the artwork, it looks rather unique. It's not super high polished but like some of the the mechs they look like really like dangerous and others look like more goofy a bit but i really like the the, the artwork it's fantastic yeah it meant it managed to really set itself apart by having um i think that the art reminds me a lot of uh mabius mobius the um the french artist um it's really cool since it takes a lot of inspiration from um uh, Japanese mech anime, but without being, without just being that. It's not just uh, Gundam or anything. It's a mix between uh, Western and Eastern uh, type of artwork, and it managed to have its own very specific style, especially since the game has um, a few different mech creators, and so there's a few different uh, mech designs that are completely uh, different and the way that they did that was to use different artists to for the the concept st sketch, uh, which gives each constructor a very different voice. Uh, but yes, the artwork of the the book is absolutely incredible, and it's made by the artist of um, called uh, Abaddon that made a webcomic called uh, Kick, uh, Kill Six Billion Demons that is apparently really good, but I haven't read. I have one question. So you get to pilot a mech? Yes, you get to pilot a mech. Basically, you play as the uh, the, the mech controller and you can, in between mission, uh, fit your mech however you want with different uh, type of abilities and stuff. And uh, the game is played on a, a, a X map. And the idea is that each, uh, each mech 
will have different abilities that allow them to control the, the battlefield. So you can have just a normal rifle, but you could also have uh, be able to launch turrets around the battlefield that can control an area and shoot whenever you attack the the enemy mech. Uh, you can also have stuff that pushes the enemy or that uh, lure them forward. You can have um, hacking abilities that function a little bit like quote unquote magic from another game where you know, you, you're able to uh, use your your hacking skill to uh, make a mech overheat or something like that. So yeah, you control a mech and you play as the mech on the battlefield in a very board game slash war game uh, type style. Okay, so this is all we need to know. Basically, everyone go buy this game. Uh, podcast done. Cue music. Yeah, yeah that's old. Yeah, even uh, better than that is that I think that they gave away the, the game for free four times. So you could, um, I think I, I, they might have changed that now, but I think that you can get the PDF for free and then um, buy a more expensive, uh, uh, like yeah. with more artwork version for like $25. It's I really just good. Download, I just downloaded the core book for free. So yeah, it's still there. Uh, you remind me a lot of Xenogears video game. You know Xenogears from Square yeah. Enix? Yeah, that's a lot cool. Is it anything like that? Um, it is, but it's smaller uh, type mechs than Xenogear. They're more like uh, two to five meter tall with some exception being uh, really large. Mono Weltal, Weltal 2, no Xenogears. Yeah. Yeah, it's very close to uh, Titanfall 2, actually. Um, I think that's that's uh, if you want to get into the, the mood, uh, playing Titanfall 2 will will give you what you're going to play with uh, Lancer. Oh, like that. Yeah, forsooth. Um, what I'm wondering is, like, uh, do the uh, mechs have, like, their own char characteristics? You know, like, are they AI-controlled? Um, well, the it's a role-playing game, so you have a GM. So um, you the GM will control the uh, enemy units, uh, and thankfully there's like a sort of easier version of the different mech that the GM can can use. So they have uh, less deep and detailed action, but there's usually you know more of them and. Uh, you, you can keep track of it. One thing that I really love with the game is that they create what they call the ComCon, which is a web app to uh, create your mech, fit your mech, uh, run the, the combat. And the thing is that um, you, you need the GM, like it's not, there's no AI, it's an automatic, but what is really incredible is that it just looks gorgeous. Uh, we'll include the link in the description. Even if you're not planning to play the game, just go have a look at this website. It's insanely good. Okay, very cool, very cool. Um, I, I, you may have said this. Uh, I missed because um, my dog has been whining at me and demanding to go out. She wants a walk. Um, the the combat is it? Um, do you, do you take place on a like a map or you said it's very tactical? Is it like yeah. Uh, you you need to have a to have a map uh, an X map which is usually a problem for me when I play um uh, when I play RPGs since I I'm terrible at drawing um, you can obviously just take a, a blank map and and make whatever you want but uh, for the the games that I've been rolling on roll twenty for the past few weeks 
what I've done was uh, is actually take the time to walk and make cool maps. Uh, <laughs> I'll uh, I might include a couple of pictures on the um, uh, the show notes. I'll see if I find something that isn't too awful. But yeah, you you need to have a map and then play around that. So so do you have what do you have little standees to represent your mech or a token or something? Uh, yeah, you you have little tokens. Uh, there's no standees coming with the game, but they've made um, a lot of um, really cool visual that you can use for your tokens. Uh, they also made a website where you can customize your own uh, tokens that I'll also link because again, it looks incredible. They they did an, an amazing job with the um, the not the feelies, but like the the stuff around the game. Uh, and so you you make your own token and then you print it out or make a little cardboard thing or you can even try to 3D print it. Some people did it and it's again very insane. Um, but uh, yeah, that's that's how you play. So um, what uh, there's quite a few different sort of like mech games like this. Um, I'm trying to think. So. Is it which which one is it? BattleTech or MechWarrior? That's more RPG based. Um, I think it's BattleTech. I've uh, I've only played BattleTech. I've not played uh, MechWarriors. The thing is that usually mech games tend to be extremely complicated. Where fitting your mech, you have to worry about the weight, and when you you roll for damage, you roll like five dice, and you have to think about it. It's they are very uh, crunch. Uh, they're very crunchy. Uh, what is good about Lancer is what, while the game um, has a lot of tactical uh, opportunities, it's usually very simple. There's only a few dice roll to to uh, to do during uh, during your action. You only have a certain number of action, and they're all uh, very simply listed. But there's enough to make some really interesting and cool decision at all time. Um, I, I think that the game managed to stay tactical but never get um too crunchy to play all right all right um so that that reminds me a little bit more of um the way cthulhu tech do their mech stuff which is very very although they do they do it a lot more like just giant characters with little characters inside them but still or i should say it's what is it giant characters inside little mom no giant no Get it right. It's little characters inside giant monsters inside robot suits is how they do their <laughs> mechs, which I love. Um, maybe I'll talk about Cthulhu Tech at some point because that's simultaneously brilliant and disappointing, that franchise. Yeah, that would be a, a cool topic. Yeah, yeah. Although might have to put a not safe for work <laughs> tag at the beginning of the whole discussion because it's hard to talk about it without getting into a few of the more uh, problematic decisions they made. In I think regard... I heard about that before. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they made a few few decisions that I'm like, did you really have to do that? It's just being edgy for the sake of it. This is the Cthulhu mythos you're leaning on. You've got enough weird edgy stuff anyway. But uh, it sounds like this is a, a lot more of a fun setting. Yeah, I really think so. Uh, the setting also uh, injures a lot on um, AI and in a very fun way there's a lot of ways to to play the ai as some kind of eldritch entities like there's a few ai that evolved without human uh, interaction and so they they created those sort of uh, god-like entities that can control um, entire solar system um, by themselves 
And so there's a, if you want to play a sort of a tech Cthulhu version, you definitely could. Yeah, yeah, it, it sounds it sounds like a, it sounds pretty cool, and um, it kind of sits a bit on theme with uh, I think what we were going to briefly touch on to wrap up with. Um, should we move on to that, or do we have anything more we want to say on Lancer? Concerning Lancer, I think I would go totally crazy and try to build my Mac with like uh, kit bashing, you know. <laughs> <laughs> if it has Mac customization like Armored Core, then that's a game to try. Yeah, I think that you would definitely uh, enjoy at least having a look at it, Techless. Yeah, I'm reading now. Yeah. So so please wrap it up for me because I'll be reading Lancer now. <laughs> well, we I, I believe uh, we just wanted to touch briefly on um, Aeon Trespass Odyssey, which, speaking of mechs, is another mech game. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is, yeah. <laughs> it's connected offline remote mech. Uh, they, they recently did an update, um, and I just saw the update, and I thought that it was worth mentioning. I have not read it into uh, proper detail, but I just think that it's so good of a Kickstarter update. Like, they really took the time to show gameplay, show production details, show how much they advanced. If you want to do a, a Kickstarter update, like, this is what you need to look at. This is a good update that doesn't treat the backers as... Um, a second thought, but it really puts them at the center of what the game needs to be. Uh, I had my own gripes with uh, ATO when it first uh, came out during the Kickstarter, but I think that they're really, uh, I've worked hard to redeem that. Um, and they're, show, they're showing that they uh, really care about what the game has become. Uh, they also recently updated the uh, tabletop version, and I'm looking forward to, to try um, and see what they changed there. Yeah, the um, they showed a load of the production samples of the pieces in plastic, and you know any doubts you had about what they were going to do with them. I own the resin copies of um, some of these models that they're showing, and they've not lost any detail at all. In fact, the um, uh, Ulysses, Ulysses, um, the uh, the female Titan with a spear, is I think actually looking better in plastic than she does in resin. Certainly more robust. But yeah, the, like the... Uh, how big are those miniatures? About thirty-two mil. But again, it's a true proportion rather than heroic, so they look a bit thinner and lighter overall. Uh, except for some of the really bulky ones, like the the lion. Yeah, please, someone comments on the pose of the Shadow Dancer Titan. <laughs> I'm not sure where the Shadow Dancer Titan is. Okay, it is the female Titan with uh, stilettos on. It's Lex, and uh, she's kicking. Oh, that's um. I haven't seen that one actually before. No, I see just in the artwork now. Uh, it's it's brand new. They um, I think that they announced it at the end of the the Kickstarter, and they had just posted uh, artwork at the uh, at the time, and now they're finally uh, showing off gameplay. It might be um, it, it might be like a crossover or something. Yeah, uh, actually, uh, yeah, she's the one. So that basically, uh, the, the the fun things, the fun thing about it is, of course, the stiletto name because stiletto, at, at least in Italian. So I don't know if this is a pun uh, which is intentional in our languages, but stiletto is the name of uh, actually a knife, a dagger. So, yeah, 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 yeah. Other than the heels, so. Yeah, I think I, I think we all take stiletto from the same source. 
Yeah, I, fa- I found it very funny. I yeah. I wonder if there's like a slight inspiration by uh, Bayonetta in there. Um, possibly. Uh, let's have a look at the actual artwork. It's got a, it's got a lot of she's got a lot of black robing going on. Um, it's, it feels a bit more Persian in style though overall. Uh, yeah, well, it is for Gardens of Babylon, so yeah. It yep. Would... Oh well, that would explain the look then. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I was just this looking at the artwork. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, um... Yeah, I, they've uh, they, they've done a lot to really move forward, and I do agree. This is this is what you want for a for, for an update. There's a whole bunch of stuff about UI design and bits and pieces of uh, samples of cards and things. It's there's so much going on in it. Yeah, like well, even showing examples of like actual yeah um, yeah actual abilities from the enemies and stuff like. This this made me at least think that they know what they want to do with the combat, and they make me look forward to play it. I might actually, um, you know, uh, up my pledge and uh, and go with it a lot more now. Yeah, yeah. The um the expansion stuff has always felt a bit more of a bit of a mystery, but uh, I mean, look at this uh, at the end of the update. This they they've called it redacted, but it's it's a chimera type, the spider. Chimera, yeah. A, yeah, like a goat-headed spider thing. And and they've like they've just put redacted, red, even redacted it, and they they've not given any more details. But that's they've, that's a lot shown there, but still very exciting. It's like what is this thing? Actually, there there's a lot of stuff which is done good. I uh, uh, I especially like the reference to Greek mythology, which are pretty much spot on. So this is, for example, they. They called, uh, now uh, I will pronounce this very bad, but it, I think the, there's a new kind of ship which is called a Zero Trireme. And that's actually, uh, the Trireme was the most common ship in ancient Greece. So that's actually a very good reference. And it was a bit harder than your common uh, Sisyphus meat. So they have kudos to them for that, actually. Yeah, I believe they're quite the fans of um, of Greek mythology and Greek history, and it does uh, it does yeah. show. Yeah, Ma- Marcin told uh, told us on BGG forums that they use the textbooks as reference, but they are pretty good textbook, I think. Yeah, you've reminded me. I've still got quite a few of the models sitting around in my pile of shame, including the Oracle of Time, I think it is, and the um. Uh, the really big pyramid one. Uh, okay, I understood what it is, but I don't have the names because I don't remember all the primordial names by memory. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the the oracle, if, if, if right, the oracle is um, it's like a big giant one with huge wings and a ton of um, like circles all over it. It's like a almost like a winged hooded figure. Um, and the other one is one of the big big bads from the first campaign. Okay, I guess we have to do our research for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because? Um, because? Next episode? Or are we going to say one line at a time? This this is a great announcement. We can, uh, we can yeah. milk it a little bit. 
Yep. So next episode, we will we'll be chatting with uh, Marcin and the guys um, from Into the Unknown Studios about Aeon Trespass and uh, and their Kickstarter and their resin lines and models and where they plan to take things going ahead and everything. Just a nice long form topic episode all about one game. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really looking forward for it. Yeah. Should be. Uh, should should be a lot of fun, especially given how much progress they've made and how well they've been to sort of put it forward and show us and everything. Yeah. So looking forward to that. Yep, yeah, absolutely. Which uh wraps everything up for this. Right. Well, uh that's it from us. And um with our terribly messy closing section this time thank you ever so much for that um but uh, we'll be wrapping up so have a good one and from me uh goodbye goodbye ciao goodbye <laughs>